Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And it is the review of the Styrian Grand Prix and a race that probably wouldn't fit in an F1 highlight reel given what we've already had this season. That being said, it certainly was a race that had its talking points and in the end, creative headlines for plenty of reasons up and down the paddock which of course my co-host Courtney Pine and I are going to get into right now and of course Courtney pre-introducing you there but how are you doing this afternoon you okay? I'm doing okay Um, I have my feelings on uh, the developments of this season which I'm sure we'll go through later on but apart from that I'm doing good and I'm still sort of in that kind of buzz that I have, I have a buzz for football right now that I don't have for Formula One. But again, we'll probably mention that a bit later on. Well, telling on how things go, our uh, sort of reaction or our certain uh, mood, if you like, is going to fluctuate depending on what happens tomorrow. But that being said, of course, obviously the time this podcast will be out, we'll be on the actual day that that match happens. So we're not going to worry about that too much. We'll focus on that tomorrow. But until then, guys, let's get into this review now. Now, of course, the Styrian Grand Prix. For those of you that had seen it, you would know that it was won in emphatic fashion by Max Verstappen, arguably one of his most dominant performances in Formula One. And Courtney, you know, as we were watching the race, it seemed to be almost like Max Verstappen was putting in a Lewis Hamilton type performance where he was managing the race really well. He had pace to burn when he led from the front and he just didn't look like anyone else had an answer for him. Um, how, How did you... What did you make of this performance from Max Verstappen? Was it a surprise to you that he just seemed so calm and controlled? Or did you feel that it's been building for such a long time to the point where now Max has the equipment 
to put him in a performance like that, he is now flourishing in this car and in this current environment. I think it's time for more people to really understand how much of an elite driver Max Verstappen is. He really is. I know he's, he's had a lot of plaudits in the past, but I think he's really showing that he can take on the championship um, challenge. Yes, the performance of the Red Bull certainly helping him in that regard, but he, he's already showing signs of a, a well-polished, established driver, you know, less than a tender age or 23. So mm. don't want to take anything away from him. But at the same time, at the beginning of the season, I had slight concerns that Red Bull were going to dominate. Now, we could, you, you can look back if you doubt me, but I welcomed the challenge from Red Bull. I, I thought, you know what, finally, we're going to have an exciting season because it's been such a long time. And it's actually a frustration I've had about Formula 1 for quite a while. And it's something that me and you have discussed privately before, Adam. And I thought, finally, we're going to get a, a, a season-long battle between two elite drivers in Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. But unfortunately, given the way the development of the respective teams in uh, Red Bull and Mercedes, I'm slightly worried that we could already be seeing this season sort of championship challenge end early, particularly given the the sort of attitudes of both Red Bull and Mercedes on 2022. It seems to be becoming more and more apparent that Mercedes have got their minds more on 2022 and Red Bull are so keen to win a championship that they're putting a lot of effort into getting this one done to take confidence into next season. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. And I think, you know, as we get into this episode, we're going to discuss that in a little bit more detail. I suppose for a lot of fans, including myself, we were hoping that these regulations, when they were announced halfway through last season, in a bid to prevent a repeat of what we saw last year, not necessarily the result, but in the level of dominance that Mercedes had over the rest of the field. I mean, it was probably as dominant as it had ever been in this turbo hybrid era. As a result of what has been changed, we started the season with some real hope and excitement over this idea that not only do Mercedes have genuine challenges in Red Bull, but for the first time we were going to get the battle that we've been waiting for ever since the young lad joined in Formula One, where it'd be Max Verstappen, the up and coming challenger, the heir apparent to the throne, if you like, to the current King Lewis Hamilton and see how he fares against Lewis in wheel-to-wheel combat, in cars that, for all intents and purposes, were pretty much equal in so many areas, or at least certain strengths and weaknesses kind of counteract each other to the point where they had a pretty much a level dogfight, if you like. And it had hallmarks of what we saw in 2018 between Seb Vettel and Lewis Hamilton for a long period of time. However, despite what we saw in the first few races of the season, where it seemed that Mercedes had the edge in the race pace, at least in Lewis's hands, and Max had the edge in qualifying in the Red Bull, it seems now that Red Bull have found a solution since the Spanish Grand Prix, as long ago as that, where they have been almost untouchable, at least in Max's hands. And I think for the first time this season, Lewis Hamilton in particular, probably felt that there was absolutely nothing he could do. And on a track like Austria, which does tend to exacerbate certain strengths of certain cars more than others, you'd have to say... If we get more races like the one we just saw, it could be a very, very worrying sign in terms of a competitive standing point for this championship. I mean, Lewis himself said he just didn't have the pace 
to beat Max. And you know that when Lewis Hamilton doesn't have the pace to beat someone, then you start worrying, mm. is, is it possible to beat them? And in the form that Max is driving at the moment, I'm, I'm telling you, Courtney, this guy right now, he is showing all of the signs of a world champion in the making. And I know that Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fans won't want to hear this, but I don't know how Mercedes are going to come back from this. It's so early in the season to say that. I understand that. But when you've, it's kind of like, um, oh, perhaps not to that degree, but, you know, I think back to when, um, you know, Michael Schumacher in 2005, maybe, you know, the Ferrari was completely nowhere near the likes of Alonso in the Renault or the McLarens or even the Hondas to a degree, you know, they were so slow. You just couldn't think how, you know, Michael could make up a deficit. But I think in the Imola Grand Prix, he just couldn't find a way past Fernando in that race. And you think if they're not going to get them, how are they going to beat them? I, I kind of feel now that no matter what Lewis is trying to do, and I'm assuming it's a lot and whatever Mercedes are trying to do, Verstappen and Red Bull in particular, the combination just seems to be too mighty for them. It's um, if, if the pecking order is going to change it, back in Mercedes' favour and the momentum is going to swing their way, something dramatic has got to happen at this point in time, because right now it just seems that we could be very quickly approaching, as you feared, Courtney, as you mentioned earlier, um, a dominant second half for this season. And it's not going to be Mercedes that are going to be doing it. Yeah, you know, I know it's rich coming from somebody who's currently wearing a Mercedes shirt. But again, we've been having these conversations for years now. You know, I welcome the challenge from Sebastian Vettel in 2017 and 2018. I welcome the challenge from Max Verstappen because even if we look back to 2014 and 2016, at least we had a battle in between the, the, the two um, teammates in Lewis and Rosberg. Because the problem we have, we've had in Formula One for such a long time is that there's always been a domination. Like we saw, we've seen it obviously with Mercedes. We saw it with Red Bull from 2010, 2013. And obviously we saw it with Ferrari in the early noughties. And I'm just really, really hoping that these regulation changes have the desired effect and we see a much more competitive Formula One grid because we do have a supremely talented younger generation coming through. And it'd be such a shame to see that go to waste. We saw, we saw hallmarks in the last golden generation when you had Alonso, Lewis, Vettel, even Button to a degree in these days at McLaren. And I just don't want to see this, this generation kind of go to waste. You know, I want to be seeing the Leclerc's, Lando Norris, uh, George Russell. I want to see them all up there compete with Max because I think they're capable of giving us some great championship battles in the future if we have the regulations that can give us competitive racing. Well, this is it now. And there's a lot of pressure on the 2022 regulations producing the desired outcome in terms of a competitive um, F1 championship. Now, we had similar hallmarks in 2009. We had the huge rule changes there. You know, we had more in 2014, although that failed very, very quickly. We realised, you know, one team had got it absolutely spot on mega and everyone else was struggling for the best part of six, seven years until we are where we are today. And um, in 2009, we had a mix up of the pecking order. We had the likes of Braun, of course, being, they are Mercedes now, but, you know, Braun, formerly Honda, moving to the front. Red Bull had emerged for the first time as a championship contender. Williams, Toyota, Renault to a degree were doing really well. And you had the likes of Ferrari and McLaren who were dominating the championship for the best part of a decade between them had slumbered into the midfield. 
But owing to their big budgets, they were able to steadily move up the pecking order and eventually catch and overtake those rivals to some degree. Now, these regulations, from what we've seen from the cost cap this season, proven to be fairly effective, is that we don't see a situation, or I don't envisage a situation in the future where you're going to get a team like Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull, if they don't get it right first time, to be able to claw back that disadvantage within six months. Um, it could take longer. It may not happen for years. You may see a complete shift in the hierarchy in F1. And that is the hope for a lot of fans, that we don't see a situation where a big team from the previous era all of a sudden rises straight back to the top within six months of finding themselves struggling. I do think the bigger teams will find ways to move up the pecking order if they are yeah. behind. But I feel that's more about they have the better um, personnel, they have the better drivers, they have the better facilities, albeit, you know, operating within a set scope of instructions and regulations, of course, and technical directives. But the cream rises to the top in one way or another, but not necessarily through being able to, you know, uh, flash about their wealth or flex their money and everything else because they won't be able to do that. So that's what we're kind of hoping for. In this case, I think we should revert back to this season now. Obviously, we've heard stories about Mercedes, how they've been able to cope with this. Total Wolf, almost on a daily basis, has been reiterating this message that Mercedes are purely focused now on next year's car. There have been reports in certain outlets, I think as uh, Amos in Germany um, reported that um, Mercedes, that only a few small things are going to be added to this car before the summer break. And this is stuff that's been going in the pipeline for a little while now, stuff that was already being developed and been signed off and everything else. So other than that, there isn't really going to be anything significant. How you know good these small updates will prove to be, I mean, teams will bring new stuff to every single track. I think that's a normal thing. Um, and there'll be parts that they can reuse for other circuits where there are similar characteristics to one that they went to before. Obviously, they're not going to take a brand new package to every race. Um, there was a time where they probably did. But, you know, th this means that we could end up with a situation, Courtney, where if Mercedes don't feel that they're able to catch Red Bull with what they have, you could end up with a one team champ or at least a one driver championship. I suppose the question we need to ask is, is this because Mercedes are refusing to allocate resources in out of risk of ruin or you know hindering preparations for next year's car or is it because they can't afford to without breaching the cost cap because i'm gonna say this now corny i feel that if it's because of the latter i feel that they're not officially announcing this or total mm. was not alluding to this because if he does other teams, specifically Red Bull, can say, OK, let's gauge how far we need to develop this car before we know we're not going to lose to Mercedes and then quit and then focus on next year because we already have the car capable of winning the championship. I mean, you could argue to a degree they may already be there. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that like with Red Bull, they definitely put a lot into this season. I think they, they sense with the regulation changes they could go, go full on attack with development. So and 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 obviously it's paying off. So it wouldn't surprise me if they've chucked a big sum of money early on in the season in order to get ahead, and then focus on next season. So you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if both teams are already putting their main focus on 2022 now, and Red Bull have the clear advantage. Yeah, they absolutely have to. But um, I mean, we're for Lewis and Max at the moment. Obviously, we want to see them going wheel to wheel every single race. We don't want to see a case where one driver just has too much for the other one at certain Grand Prix. And we've had our fair share 
of them two going to wheel to wheel. Of course, we had the Bahrain Grand Prix with that narrow finish. We had it in Spain. We've had it in France. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of fans would want to see them going wheel to wheel for the rest of the season. We don't want this championship being won or even signed off, if you like, that someone is going to win it at an early point. So I'm hoping that they can find a way, Mercedes, to try and claw back this deficit that they clearly have to Red Bull now. I think Red Bull have proved that not only do they have a very competitive car in qualifying, but in Max Verstappen's hand, they seem to have, at certain places, the all-round better race car as well. Or at the very least, Max is able to get more out of his package for whatever reason than Lewis is able to in the Mercedes. Now, I know that sounds really, really unlikely, but I think if there's anyone that can do it, it's probably Max Verstappen right now. Of course, as I said at the start, the guy is supremely talented. You know, we're, we're seeing a lot of a lot of tedious squabble between uh, both sets of fans. And what I find quite interesting is that it seems that the biggest war between Lewis and Max is actually happening online. I think it's actually a healthy respect between the two drivers. So I don't quite get, <laughs> I don't quite get the, the level of heat between the two sets of fans because they're squabbling whilst the two drivers have a fairly healthy relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And we can't, you know, you can't count Lewis out of this at all by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, the the gap is now 18 points to Max Verstappen. Um, and obviously that margin has increased in the last few races, with the exception of Azerbaijan, for obvious reasons, which and it could have very well increased even more then if it wasn't for that tire blowout that Max had. But um in previous championships in the Sober Hybrid era, Lewis Hamilton has had Larger, larger margins to overcome in three seasons in this Toba Hybrid era than where he faces right now. And he's won two of them. The only exception was when he lost in 2016 to Rosberg, who was as far ahead of Lewis as 43 points before Lewis eventually clawed it all the way back to being five points back. So an 18-point gap is certainly not an untenable margin for Lewis to overcome. And in the end, it could come down to one race where Verstappen has a problem and Lewis wins the race and claws all the way back in his favour. So as I said, guys, I don't think we can count Lewis out of this by any stretch. Lewis has certainly not given up. I don't think Mercedes have given up, but you could understand why in a subtle way they could potentially be throwing in the towel and just hoping that what they have mm. is good enough at this point. I mean, is that a fair reflection, Courtney, on Mercedes' I perspective think, right yeah, now? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, they were... Maybe look at circuits like France, where they're a lot closer. You know, it's just unfortunate for Mercedes. You've got a double header. What I must, what I must say, because we've been quite critical about you, Bottas, in a previous episodes. I think he had yet another solid race. You know, coming from he started fifth, didn't he, to finish third. Mm. And I think that's what that's that's what Mercedes and Lewis need an, an informed Valtteri Bottas. You know, yes, um, Sergio Perez suffered a slow pit stop. But I just think little things like that will help Mercedes mentally going forward. And strategy and a strong number two driver is exactly what Mercedes needs to even get close to challenging Red Bull right now. Absolutely. And I mean, how would you interpret that race for Sergio Perez? Do you feel that perhaps he'd be disappointed he didn't get on the podium? Or do you feel that that was a race where he probably should have done, but Red Bull kind of cost him with that slow pit stop? Because they pitted him again to try and catch Bottas on a two-stopper, mm. but... I don't know. I just feel like they could have got him on the one stopper. He was very close to Bottas and decided to go for fast stop 
and catch Bottas and pass him like they did in France with Verstappen and Hamilton. But in the end, it just they, they just never got near him in the end. Well, until the final lap, but they ran out of time. But that's what makes the performance deficit right there with the apparent performance deficit more frustrating because strategically they seem pretty close on ability as well. So if they were if they were close on performance for most neutral F1 fans, that would have given us some great races for the rest of the season. So that's why I'm hoping Mercedes do catch up and we're given something to races to look forward to for the rest of the season. Hmm. And that's why I also feel that whilst I accept that Red Bull definitely have the all-round best package at the moment, at least in Verstappen's hands, I don't think the gulf is as large as some people are making it out to be. I just think right now, as good as Lewis is driving, as he always has been, Max is driving to a level right now, which you feel that only Lewis Hamilton, perhaps arguably in, in the Red Bull, if you like, um, because we always like to make comparisons with other people driving the Mercedes. If Lewis was in the Red Bull and it suited his specs and the way he drove, that's probably perhaps the only way that they could, he could beat Max at the moment in that car. But as I said, you know, this is Mercedes we're talking about and they've never been in this position in this era before. And this is complete foreign territory for them. So it will require them to pull probably the biggest rabbit out of the hat that they've ever done but I certainly wouldn't rule them out from doing that. So there's still life in this championship yet, guys. We're eight races in. So well, I hope you're right because right now ugh, doesn't look it doesn't look too promising. Yeah, well, at least not for the next race. But of course, we're going to be yeah. talking about that in our next episode when we do the preview. Um, but overall, a lot of conflicting opinions and voices going on between both camps but at the moment the Red Bull camp seems to be very 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 happy four wins in a row that's the first time anyone other than Mercedes has done that in the turbo hybrid era um it's absolutely astonishing numbers for them and you know what you know what I just feel that I'm hoping Mercedes can do something to make this championship more competitive because it's it's quite scary to think that how Red Bull and Verstappen have managed to collectively get to a point where they could very much do to Mercedes what they've been doing to everybody else for the last seven or eight years. I think uh, I think most Formula One fans need to be doing some rain dances for the rest of the season. That's what I feel, and I want to see Lando Norris win a race. That that's the other thing. I, I think Lando Norris has been such a solid driver this season. I think the guy deserves a win. Well, speaking of Lando Norris, let's move on to the next part. Now, I mean, what can we say about Lando? I mean, he qualified in third place, um, owing, you know, to Bottas's penalty. So he ended up starting in P3. He come in third place in the Austrian Grand Prix last season, which of course we'll be going to, but it was at the same venue. So might as well be the same race. But this has been a happy hunting ground for him. And despite the fact that he admittedly let Perez and Bottas overtake him at midpoint in the race because he felt that uh, they felt that they couldn't compete with them. Once again, another solid drive from Lando Norris. And, you know, if you want to judge his performance in one sentence, it's that he did exactly what he needed to do, beat Ferrari and the rest of the midfield. And he comfortably did that. No, he isn't. He's showing the maturity, you know, there's always been the stigma attached to um, Lando in terms of, you know, his maturity or lack of it. And we're seeing the maturity off, maturity off track that is leading to these solid performances from him. You know, he, he, he hasn't become a bore by no means, but, you know, when he's interviewed by the media, seems a lot more composed. His relationship with Danny Ricciardo is certainly a lot different to that with Carlos Sainz. I'm sure some of the fans are missing that back and forth between Carlos Sainz and Lando. But in terms of 
the pure racing from Lando. He's definitely taken a real step forward. I, I actually watched an interview between him and Rachel Brooks on the Sky F1, and he really he made a really interesting point. He said, "I'm in my third season now. I have no excuses." First season or so, you can get away with making mistakes here and there or maybe not being at your best because you're young. He said, now I'm in my third season. I need to be established myself in Formula One. He knew he was going to have a tough teammate in Daniel Ricciardo because Daniel will turn it around. Lando knows that. So he's going to get try and get a bigger gap to Daniel as possible. And he is. He's, he's putting every, everything together and he's becoming an, a real established Formula One driver. And with the right machinery in the future, I have no doubt that that guy can really challenge to be a world champion one day. Yeah, absolutely. And and you'd probably argue a good case that he is arguably the driver of the season, perhaps with the exception of Max Verstappen at the yeah. moment, the way that he's driving. But Lando's certainly putting his name in the hat once again, another solid drive. And yeah, I can understand some McLaren fans might have been a bit disappointed that he allowed Bottas and Perez to overtake him quite easily, especially when he was keeping them behind for such a long time. But, you know, McLaren's priorities aren't necessarily to be duking it out with McLaren and Red, uh, with Red Bull Mercedes as much as they'd like to, but they don't want to get tangled up in a stupid incident and lose points. And the way that the race unfolded, that turned out to be the correct move because of obviously what came behind them. Um, before we move on to Ferrari, Daniel Ricciardo... Uh, <sighs> It's hard to tell how to judge this race because he drove a lot better in France, more like the Daniel Ricciardo we were expecting. He seemed yeah. to be on top of this McLaren. Qualifying didn't go well for him. Um, he was, you know, he didn't make it into Q3, which was a bit of a shock, but, you know, I'm sure that will come. Daniel's naturally been a good qualifier anyway. That just doesn't go away. But, you know, the race kind of unfolded for him. He was doing well in the midfield. He looked like he was about to make a charge and then he started to lose power. And he seemed to be plagued by issues quite a lot. And then by the time they fixed it on track, uh, and these are his words, that they were so bogged down in the midfield, there was nothing they could do. So I guess if that is the case, then I don't think we should worry too much about that. But it's, it's one of those where you really can't afford to be having races like that when you're trying to make progress, especially when your teammate is doing so well. But I guess for Daniel, this is more perhaps just paying his dues, suffering the pain now, and hopefully towards the end of the season, maybe next season, if you like, he'll come back and at the very minimum be on the level that Lando is right now. I'm hoping he can sort of sort out his gremlins from last week and take it into this coming race because I know we're going to move on to Ferrari, but I feel that the best battle we could be getting from this upcoming race is a battle between McLaren and Ferrari. So mm. if Daniel finds some form, that that could be the highlight of the coming race. I know this is a race review, not a preview. Obviously, when we have this back to back, they they do kind of come together. And I just feel, yeah, I think if I think if Daniel sort sort sees Gremlins out from last week, we could be in for a cracker in between those two teams. Absolutely. And if we did both back to back, we'd be here for several hours and we're not going to be doing that <laughs> to you guys. Our preview for the Styrian race will probably be out Friday morning as the uh, so the that's the steering race. The Austrian race will be out Friday morning, not to get the two confused. But yes, so Ferrari's kind of a, a bit of a mixed bag, if you think about it. I mean, overall, they gained some points on McLaren with the sixth and seventh place finishes for Sainz and Leclerc. But you could argue that it was another missed opportunity for Ferrari, another mistake, if you like, that Lando Norris has previously alluded to as to why McLaren seemed to have the upper hand. The good news... 
But there's two bits of good news for Ferrari. First of all, Ferrari managed to recover a good amount of points considering how yeah. their weekend looked like it was going to go. Um, and secondly, uh, given what had happened in the French Grand Prix, it's great that Ferrari managed to get on top of their issues with handling their tyres on a track which was, in fairness, a lot less low deg than uh, the French Grand Prix was. That's always going to be a good thing for Ferrari. So hopefully the French Grand Prix was a, a one-off or a rarity like Portimao was for them. Now, here's the way I see it with the drivers. Carlos Sainz will be disappointed that his qualifying performances didn't continue on Saturday. He ended up starting in P12. But the bright side is he drove a pretty solid race. He went very long in the opening stint and was able to take advantage of that. Um, using the hard tyres early on, went on to the mediums, drove a great middle stint and ended up finishing P6. I suppose... The only downside for Carlos Sainz is that, you know, there was some reason to suspect he could have caught Lando Norris towards the end. But if it wasn't for Lewis Hamilton lapping him and then going so slowly at the end to the point where Carlos had to unlap himself, it kind of cost Carlos the time to overtake Lando. I mean, if, you know, let's say Lewis wasn't in the picture, Courtney, do you feel Carlos could have caught and passed Lando? Or do you feel that perhaps Lando might have had a bit of pace to burn because I felt that Lando still had some mm. speed in his pocket to use if he needed to. I think he was quite happy to manage the car. And if Sainz got anywhere near him in the Ferrari, he might have been able to go a bit faster. But what a battle that could have potentially been between them two. Well, yeah, something we've seen in this turbo hybrid era, there's a lot of, you know, you've got to look after the parts and everything. So it's always going to be a bit of an unknown entity. But Carlos Sainz is such an underrated driver. He really is. And it's something else that Lando alluded to in that very interview I mentioned earlier on. That Carl, he is. He's, he's, he's actually a very good driver. And actually, I, I, I apologise for not mentioning him in that next generation of drivers that can go for world championships because the guy is able to do it. I, I, I think overall, I think he's been driving better for Ferrari than Charles Leclerc has. And we all know and we all rate Charles highly. So, yet again, another solid performance from Carlos Sainz. And I, and I think Ferrari. If they if they get these regulation changes right, they could be a force to, to be reckoned with next season. I think where he's probably been better than Leclerc at is his consistency in the race. Mm. Claire has a very high ceiling in terms of his upper level, but yeah. then equally makes more mistakes than Carlos does, um, as we saw in the race yesterday. So uh, that's, there's definitely a reason to suggest why that might be the case. Um I mean, as for Leclerc, it's it's a really weird one. We saw him get drive of the day, but I'll be honest with you, I don't think he deserved to win drive of the day. I mean, it was a great recovery. You know, let's not ignore that. But, you know, I mean, the race started off. It wasn't a bad start for him. He had that battle with Gasly and Alonso, but he had plenty of room on the left-hand side to try and avoid what had happened and was a little bit clumsy in allowing his car to sort of make contact with Gasly, which, of course, didn't ruin Gasly's race. What happened immediately afterwards to Gasly, where he got hit by a few cars at turn three, ruined his race. But Charles Leclerc's actions didn't exactly help. I mean, it wasn't a case of Charles Leclerc driving into Gasly and causing Gasly to have these issues. Of course, Alonso was the other side of him, and it was almost a bit like a pincer move on Gasly. Just, you know, there's nothing he could yeah, do no about it. Go. Exactly. All I would say for Leclerc is perhaps he should have tried to be a bit more aware of where Alonso was to try and give Gasly a bit more room. And you could imagine later on in the race when he almost made contact with Raikkonen trying to be a bit too aggressive to defend the position that he just won off of Raikkonen, that 
you know, the question is, is that once again, Charles Leclerc driving brilliantly well, but it's still making those small little mistakes every so often, which can cost him because I don't want to sound overconfident in his abilities, Courtney's, but I think Charles Leclerc could have been P5 in the race. But because of what happened, he had to make that pit stop, recover from the back, did a brilliant job on the hard tyres to do that, and then fight all the way up to P7, where he was near his teammate at the end. And, you know, that's that could be a missed opportunity once again for Ferrari. Well, yeah, he has. He certainly has the ability to challenge, but he has to sort out this scruffiness because if he is to be challenging the likes of Max Verstappen in the future, he has the pace to do it, but he can't be making mistakes because I think, I think Max Verstappen is going to be the ceiling for this generation. I think, as I've said, I can't repeat myself, but Leclerc has the pace to challenge, but it needs to be more consistent and it needs to stop these silly little errors because, you know, Monaco is a prime example. You know, he made, mm. he, he made the mistake, which pretty much gifted Max the win. So yeah. Ferrari are to, are to challenge, and I think they will be. I, 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 think, I think Ferrari could be one of the teams to watch next season. If they really want to be challenging the likes of Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton over the course of the season, Leclerc just needs to sort out that scruffiness. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And, you know, it's those mistakes that could cost him in the championship this year with McLaren, because right now I think, you know, a lot of people sort of change their opinions one week to another about who has the best car or who looks the favourite. Right now, you'd say that Ferrari, with both their guys performing the way they are, have what they need to win this battle with McLaren. But right now, Lando is driving thoughtlessly and picking up big results everywhere he goes, no matter what position he's in. And yet Ferrari for one reason or another, always makes it seem to make a subtle mistake here or there, and it does tend to cost them big time. And I think Ferrari need to maximise the opportunities when they're performing well. Hopefully, by precedence of what they did this weekend, next weekend, when we go back to the same venue, Ferrari will fancy their chances at potentially a P5 and a P6, or anything more if something happens to one of the top two cars at the front. Um, On the subject of Charles Leclerc, before we move on, um, a lot of people were sort of debating on whether or not he should have received the penalty for what happened with Pierre Gasly. Where do you stand on that, Courtney? Did you feel he should have been penalised or do you feel that perhaps he wasn't given a penalty because he had to make a pit stop to repair his front wing? I believe that is the case, certainly. I, 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 don't, I don't get this sort of double downing on drivers that make those kind of errors because he's been punished by the outcome. And also, it just it's just... If you... If you put these double punishments on these drivers, it, 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 it messes the, the, the spectacle up. He made a mistake. He got punished for it. That's the right way to go, I feel. Mm. No, I agree. And I think, you know, when I was watching the race, someone was asking me oh, what I thought about it. And, and I felt the same way. I feel that, you know, if he didn't have that front wing damage, there might have been some scope to penalise him or give him a time penalty. But at the same time, you know... Leclerc played his part in punching Gasly's rear tyre and that did affect him. But it was a lap one incident, a very early incident in the race. And I know they say usually after turn one, it's kind of like, you know, normal rules apply. But in Austria, the way that that track goes, you kind of have to go through at least a lap before you can start judging the race under normal precedent because everyone's throwing themselves everywhere, dive bombing this, dive bombing that, or going for moves. And on top of what happened to Pierre Gasly, it was what happened after his contact with Leclerc that took him out of the race. You know, he may have been able to, there was nothing he could do, but he may have been able to nurse that car back to the pits and, you know, repair it and go about his business like Leclerc did. Um, 
but he obviously didn't anticipate that getting T-boned by Latifi in particular, who didn't see him until literally you're under breaking and you're a passenger. So no, I don't think he should have been given a penalty for that, but I do feel that Charles has to urge on the side of caution and try to not, or try to be a bit more mindful of where he puts his car. And this isn't a new thing. I think he's done this quite a lot in the last few years. So he just needs to be a bit more mindful about where he puts his car. And hopefully those mistakes will be a lot fewer and further between. Um, so let's talk about, I'm just trying to think, I'm looking for the pecking order, trying to think who are the best people to talk about after this. Um, let's talk about Aston Martin. Um, one of the drivers we haven't talked about often enough on this is Lance Stroll. Now, early in the season, he was performing well in this car. Sebastian Vettel stole the headlines from him after his performances in Monaco and Baku and equally in France to a degree as well. But Lance Stroll very much quietly going about his business and then ends up finishing in P8. Another impressive performance for him. Um, it's so hard to tell, Courtney, how good Lance Stroll really is because we know he's a good driver. We know he earns his place in the sport despite the backing that he has had. But once again, he can put together one of these brilliant performances in the equipment he has, but it goes almost completely under the radar. You just don't notice it until you see on the timer sheets, bang, Lance Stroll is in a strong position. Where the hell did he end up there? It's, do we give him enough credit? I think is the best question. Probably not um, because of the, um, obviously the connections, uh, you know, obviously with his dad. So I think it's, 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 it's very easy to rule somebody out because of their family connections. But at the same time, I do feel that, Lance Stroll's driving is very similar to the Aston Martin. You just don't know where they're going to be. You know, they're either going to be sort of in the upper end of the midfield or, or struggling almost with, uh, with the likes of even Williams sometimes. So very interesting. You just don't, I'd say that Aston Martin are probably the biggest, are probably the biggest unknown entity in terms of what to expect from a Formula One weekend of like the pundits must so if you think about the, the betting odds for who's going to finish where I bet Aston Martin are probably the most difficult to to make odds of because they 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 just sort of appear here there everywhere don't they race by race well they do and qualifying here you know it's always going to be a track almost a bit like a lottery if someone absolutely hooks it up and gets a great lap in they're going to do well and Lance did that as well he got p9 on the grid qualified well and he was strong in the race he just completely went unnoticed because he was kind of running his own race like Lando was. It was only until the two Ferraris caught him at the end, he would have finished a lot higher. So, no, great job from Lance Scholl in the race, and her, hopefully that continues next week. Um, it's not much to say on Sebastian Vettel, really. I don't think he drove bad this weekend, but um, his qualifying position did make it more difficult for him, qualifying in 14th and um, eventually coming in P12. So it's probably one of those to put to the memory bank, and I wouldn't be surprised if Seb comes back stronger this weekend coming. Another solid race for him. You know, it's something I said earlier on in the season about Sebastian Vettel. If he doesn't have a great race weekend, he just needs to have solid drives and then rebuild for when those opportunities arise again. And that's certainly what he's doing. He's certainly made himself a stable environment at Aston Martin, which is needed after a torrid time at his latter years at Ferrari. And let, let's hope that Aston Martin yet a, another team to get it right in 2022 because I think Sebastian Vettel probably deserves one last shot at sort of dicing with the big boys. Like for, for me, as a purist, I want to be seeing the likes of Verstappen up against Lewis, Alonso and Vettel, sort of like a, a, a generational kind of battle. That's just me being a fanboy in that regard. I doubt we'll see it, but fingers crossed it happens one day. 
yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, they, you know, let's hope for the best. But uh, I mean, Alpha Tauri, let's talk about them now. Um, there's not a lot to say on Pierre Gasly. Qualified really well, as he's often done this season. Um, but his race was completely ruined within three corners. So it's a shame for him. Not much that we can say. We've just got to hope for better fortunes in the next race. But Yuki Tsunoda put in a good performance uh, this weekend. He qualified 11th. Um, and well, he said qualified 11th. He qualified in the top 10, but was bogged down by that free place grid penalty for blocking Bottas. Um, but he managed to get into the points in P10. It wasn't a spectacular drive, but he was very much embedded in the midfield. And, uh, you know, when you pick up a championship point in a car that's competing in the midfield, that's not a bad result at all for Yuki Tsunoda. Well, he needed that. That's the exact performance that he needed because he's had such a torrid time since that sort of solid start he had that he needed a race. I think he needs another race or so like this. Pierre Gasly's been so good and he's he's probably whacked this guy's confidence. So if he does this... Time and time again throughout the rest of the season, I reckon his Alpha Tauri seat could well be safe. But I think there's a long way to go. He just needs to be a little bit more consistent. Yeah, it was a very calm, methodical, calculated drive. Very unanimated at all, unlike what Yuki Tsunoda has been more well known for this season. So, you know, long may that continue. Hopefully his consistency continues to improve and we'll see him in the top 10 more often than not. Um, Alpine. Again, a bit of a mixed bag for them. Fernando Alonso, another solid drive for him in P9, qualifying in the top 10 once again. Um, I don't think he'll mind that overall. The battle mm-hmm. for Alpine, they really need to try and get more bigger points because Aston Martin and Alpha Tauri have really stolen a march on them after their respective podiums at the Baku Grand Prix. Do you feel at the moment that Alpine really... Uh, they, you know, their battle, they really need to try and get in with Aston Martin or Alfa Tauri, or do you feel that perhaps they should just make sure that Alfa Romeo don't get anywhere near them? Because right now, it just seems to be one driver doing well, one driver not doing so well. And I just feel like, you know, Alpine, they really need both their drivers to be on form because Alonso's upped his game and Ocon, yeah. ever since he signed that new deal, has can slip back. And it was another below par performance again from Esteban Ocon. I think I think Alpha Tauri are out of range. Alpha Tauri have been fantastic. You keep on every every time I look at the, the timesheets, particularly for qualifying, and I'm surprised to see Gadsley starting fifth or sixth. And actually, I go actually actually I shouldn't be surprised by this. It, it, it it's not it's not a fluke. It isn't track specific. They're getting solid top ten starts on a regular basis. That surprised me. I thought they were going to have a very average season. Think about next season, but yeah. Pierre Gazzi in particular has been fantastic. I think it's going to be difficult for Alpine to catch up with them. But I think Fernando Alonso will be very happy with how he's settled back in the Formula 1 after a slow start. So encouraging signs for him. Yeah, absolutely. And it just seems to Alpine that no matter what they do, when Alonso picked up his performances all of a sudden, started to really get into the groove, they probably were buzzing, thinking that they've got both their drivers on form. Now they're going to start you know, flying up the order. And the opposite has happened. They've ended up with Alonso outperforming himself and improving, and Ocon has slumped down. Hopefully that changes. I'm sure Ocon will find a way to get back, but it's been a very difficult few races for him. So hopefully his form will pick up, and he's got a great opportunity to do it at the same venue this weekend. So all the best for him on that one. Um, you know, Let's go to Alfa Romeo. Again, Alfa Romeo, one of these teams that you don't see much of them in the race, but then they end up 
very, very near the points. And another P11 for Alfa Romeo once again. This time, Kimi Raikkonen very nearly getting into the points. Um, what do you make of their day? Because, I mean, I'm one of the big surprising facts about uh, Alfa Romeo is that they've only scored two points this season. It feels like they should have perhaps could have got more. I'm, I'm In my mind, I kind of call um, Alfa Romeo the copy and paste team. Doesn't hmm. matter the circuit, the weather conditions, they're always in and around the, the points 12, 11, 12, 13th. And they just, they're such a, they're, they're, we spoke about forgotten entities. They're probably the biggest forgotten entity. They're even more forgotten than Hass, and Hass are right at the bottom. Hmm. But it just seems to be, you know, like it's, it's a shame, you know, to see sort of Kimi Riken and that of the limelight. But it is what it is. They're very much focused on next season. They're, vo- they're vocal about that from the, even pre season. So they're just sort of trundling along, getting solid results here and there, which I'm sure really for a team of less size, they wouldn't complain about too much. No, and uh, I'm I'm wondering if they finished in P11 more than anyone else has this season. I'll have to try and look that up. It just seems that they that is one position I can guess. If someone's going to finish there, it's going to be an Alfa Romeo. Um, I mean, Kimi had a bit of a dicey moment with Charles Leclerc, of course, having a piece of his front wing taken off. Again, you know, it's one of those things that can happen, but I feel like that's more... Leclerc just needs to be a bit more mindful about where he puts his car sometimes. Um, fortunately, it didn't affect either driver's race following that point. But, um, you know, certainly a tense moment in the hearts of the Alfa Romeo pit crew when they were probably thinking maybe they could nick a point. And all of a sudden, their works Ferrari compatriots almost takes out Raikkonen in the process trying to overtake him. So, you know, uh, it was a good race from Kimi. Giovinazzi just didn't quite have the pace, but P15, I don't think Alfa Romeo are going to complain too much, but another few points probably wouldn't go amiss for them. Um, one team that will be absolutely devastated at the fact that they didn't get points this weekend were Williams. And to be honest, Courtney, I am as gutted as anyone over what happened to George Russell's race. Qualified just outside the top 10 in P11, but owing to Sonoda's penalty, he ended up starting in P10. And uh, on top of that, he got the free choice attire, which he used brilliantly, got a good start all the way up into P8 and was challenging the likes of Alonso and mm. Sonoda around him. And George was on merit in that position. He was there on merit. He was quick. He was consistent. His Friday practice times were good. So you knew his long run pace was going to be good. And it just seemed for all the while that this could be the weekend where George Russell finally gets those ever so elusive points for the first time in his career in a Williams. But once again, Lady Luck was not smiling on George and he was completely undone by a long pit stop, which of course we now know was owing to pneumatic valve pressure issues and had to be retopped up a few times to the point where it was just becoming mm. a t- you know, tedious and fruitless and had to retire the car once again so disappointing for George I have mixed feelings because yes it was gutting it was gutting to watch it sort of unfold because look, you beat me to it he was up there on merit he was challenging Fernando Alonso it was all going so well and then bang this occurred but given that it's a double header there should be much cause for optimism at Williams they've shown that they can compete 
in a point scoring position, which they must take massive encouragement from. So fingers crossed, I feel like we say this every time. Fingers crossed, this could be the race that George Russell gets his first points in Formula One for Williams. I mean, we're going to keep predicting it because eventually, <laughs> surely it's got to come in. I mean, that is that is the saving grace. You know, as, as disappointed as George will be, and I would be very surprised if he wasn't disappointed because this has happened to him more often than it should do to be honest, in this situation. Something is really strange as to why this keeps happening to George when he's in a good position. It never happens to him when he's completely nowhere and his car is nowhere near good enough to compete. But um, hopefully this weekend at the same venue, he'll be able to just drive the same way as he did and hopefully the reliability will be much more in his favour than it was this weekend. Um, On the subject of Russell, obviously the rumour mills are always going into overdrive over Will he, won't he join Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton next season? That seems to be the general consensus that if he is going to go to Mercedes, it will be to pair up with Lewis rather than to replace him. But in terms of gauging his performance, Courtney, in certain Grand Prix, this is a great example to yes. do that. Yes. The, I don't know if the question is, will Mercedes be doing that? I'm pretty sure they will be. But should Mercedes be judging him on segments of races where he performs well and he's obviously taken up by reliability or issues like he had in Sakir as well when he was driving in the Mercedes or should they be more focused on how he performs in races he actually finishes for one way or another because it's it's so hard to kind of get a fair judgment regardless of which way you go about it well given where the car has been since he's joined it's been really difficult for him to showcase what he can do um a race like this is, I, I, I think the next race could be massive for him. This could be a big chance for him to make a statement because he was making a statement in the race just passed. So he'd be really, he'd be hoping to really turn it around. In, you know, what is a pretty critical moment for his future? And again, I think that his move to Mercedes is all but confirmed behind the scenes. But you still want to be showing your potential employers how good you are. So he'll be hoping that he can really take this opportunity next week. Mm. We'll have to wait and see and see how that transpires and what Mercedes decide to do about announcing the driver lineup for next season, whether they do do it at the British Grand Prix, as some people have rumoured that they might be considering um, and how productive that turns out to be. We'll have to wait and see. Um, let's move on to Haas. Uh, I mean, Latifi had a, uh, it's not much to say. We didn't really see much of him other than when he was flying over Pierre Gasly's rear tyre before that broke off. Um, I don't, it's hard to judge where Latifi is at the moment um, on this because he's just going about his business. He's got a lot of financial backing. He's certainly probably driving to a pretty decent level. But um, should Williams be asking for more from him considering how well George is performing or do you feel that they're satisfied with what he's doing? I think they'll be satisfied and I think Latifi has a little bit of safety. First of all, because of the funding that he brings and also given that George Russell was likely to leave. So there's going to be a vacancy at Williams already. So I think that could probably save Latifi for this season at least but if Williams perform better create a better package for next season and Latifi starts to under deliver it's going to become a lot more apparent that he isn't good enough so it'd be interesting to see how how well Latifi performs in a better car because we obviously we've yet to see that yeah next season will be a better indicator as to mm. where his performance lies um yeah so on Haas last but certainly not least um Funny part this weekend, um, Gunther Steiner, don't know if you saw the video, Courtney, online. I saw it. Um, giving Nikita Mazepin a present, giving him a spinning top. And in his words, so he can practice spinning all he likes outside of the car rather than in the car. I mean, 
as funny as that is, that's just uh, another reason of the millions that we have as to why everyone loves Gunther Steiner. Um, absolutely savage. Balls are still. I mean, this is the guy that during the car launch a few years ago at Haas told Roman Grosjean, hopefully you don't spin and crash the car as often this year because we can't afford to, to keep doing it. Um well, yeah, that's just that's that's how he is, though. And I, I was watching it, and I thought, how how is Nikita Mazepin going to react to this? And um, he, he he took it well, it mm. seemed. But yeah, you're right. I don't think a good designer seems to really give a toss about that. So no. Some sometimes you need management like that, particularly if you're managing someone like uh, like Mazepin. Yeah, and he exert he certainly exerts that kind of um, personality going for Steiner that a young drivers would certainly want to drive. I mean, if I was in Formula One, I'd certainly want to drive in a team that he is managing, not necessarily Haas, but um, certainly if he was the team principal, I wouldn't mind driving or being one of his drivers. He seems like a great team principal to work with and very good at what he does. Ultimately, I don't think he gets enough credit where credit is due outside drive to survive. So uh, no, good show from Gunther on that one. Um, Mick Schumacher put in a good performance this weekend, finishing P16, um, beating, of course, Latifi and as well, if I'm looking at Andy's teammate. So, not a bad performance from Mick Schumacher. Once again, you know, again, it wasn't a lot that we could say because we didn't really get to see much of it. But as we saw, yeah, well, yeah, well they had a couple, yeah, they had a couple near tangles, though, didn't they? Uh, Madison and Schumacher. They did. They always seem yeah. to, those two. But um, in the end, Mick Schumacher obviously having the better day. But uh, again, I think when you see a race where there's not much to talk about with a hush drive, is I think you can just say that it was a good day for them. Um, no one's expecting them. To finish high up the field, of course, we saw uh, in, in Monaco and oh, sorry, not in Monaco, in Azerbaijan, where, of course, they finished high up because of how crazy the race was. But that's always going to be a bonus. And the objective for them is just to learn their craft, improve, enjoy some racing with each other as they do. And hopefully in the seasons that are to come, they will be able to put that experience to better use in a much more competitive car. So, yeah, not a bad oh, day for them. Absolutely, mate. But uh, I think that's pretty much all that we need to cover for this episode, guys. Um, if you have any comments or any observations of this race that we've missed or want us to clarify more, please do let us know in the comment section. Although I must stress, guys, I admire your enthusiasm in the comments from what I saw in the French Grand Prix with you. But please keep it civil. You know, everyone's got an opinion and that's what makes being an F1 fan great. You know, it doesn't matter what side you're on, whether you're pro Lewis, whether you're pro Max, whether you're pro Ferrari, whether you're not. It's all good. So, yeah, debate to your heart's content, but please keep it civil, guys. We want a happy comment section. We want a, you know, <laughs> a supportive one. We don't want to tear each other down. That's what we're here for. One big happy family. And that's the last mum moment you're going to get from me. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, guys, um, if you enjoyed the video or podcast, uh, please, please do like the video and please consider subscribing to the channel thank you so much for those of you that have subscribed to the channel helping us get to 400 subscribers on youtube thank you very I'm much really guys. grateful for that of course the next target is 500 so if you haven't already please subscribe to the channel and share with anyone that you think might enjoy our content and consider subscribing to the channel as well of course if you follow us on any major podcasting platform wherever you get your podcasts from please please do follow us and thank you so much for your support and of course don't forget to follow us on social media as well the handles on the youtube video are there for you and uh, all the stuff to say guys is thanks for tuning in stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast see you soon
Social Podcast Network.